Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're gonna get offended Please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and hope everybody had a good 4th of July and you're staying safe and staying away from COVID and that you're well, and I love and appreciate each and every one of you. I'm going to tell a story today, a little bit outside the norm probably get back into regular homicides and some of the bigger cases in, in the next week or two. We're waiting on a few things, but we're going to get started. And I love and appreciate each and every one of you lifers out there. And I, I just can't thank you enough. You're making us grow crazy. We just passed 19,600 on our crew page, the private Facebook page today, tonight. And I'm sitting here recording live for our patron members. And I've been hanging out with them for a little bit. Anyway, wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for y'all. I love you and I appreciate you. So uh, stay tuned and I'll give you some announcements after the show. So today's episode, what am I going to call it? I'm going to call it the first of the month. All right. So in, I guess it was 2003 and the month was August, but it was right around the first of the month. It's like the first week of the month. It's just like maybe like now, right? So I was working for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and I received a call from Detective Vic Marler, who was a narcotics agent, and he was simply, hands down, the best narcotics agent uh, or officer, deputy, whatever you want to call it, that, that I've ever seen. He really was great, and I was great at narcotics, and that's how I made my bones before, and I thought that's all I ever want to work until I worked my first homicide, and that ruined me, right, from running the dope. But the dope, dope game is a lot of fun, it's uh it's dangerous 
and it's a lot of action. It's never a boring moment when, when you're working as a uh, narcotics detective, running people down, et cetera. So Vic calls, and he gets all excited. He said, Sheriff called, Sheriff called. And we got this hot area, and um, I said, well, what's happening, man? And, and he told me, he said, look, there's this real nice neighborhood up north of Denham and Watson, and he said it's a single dead-end street with a bunch of nice houses. And he said they got a guy in there who's supposed to be slinging crack out of one of the houses. And I said, really? And, and he said, yeah, all the neighbors are complaining because you got all these hoopties and shit pulling in their neighborhood. Yeah, they're really nice neighborhood. And they're going to this one house and they're buying dope. Well, I said, what do you know about the guy that's in the house? He said, well, here's, here's a kicker. He said, that bitch is on house arrest or, or parole. He said he's got an ankle bracelet on, right? He just, he's out of prison on parole, locked up in this house, and he's selling dope. I said, what's, what's he doing? What does he do for a living and that he can afford to live in a nice neighborhood, et cetera? Slinging dope, he said, I think it's like his grandparents' house. I said, all right. So he told me, well, we went and met somewhere in Denham, probably Denham Springs PD or whatever. I would have been on the east side of the parish at the time. And so I go and meet him, and uh, he showed me the street. The name of the street was Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M Avenue, and they call it Hunstock West. And Hunstock East is a much larger, I think, um, subdivision. And Parham would have ran across Highway 16 North, and I ended up living on Parham in the next year or two. actually lived in and purchased a house that was next door to this store that I'm going to tell you about. It's kind of crazy, but that's for another day. So it was Parham. You turn on the Parham off of 16, it's dead end. You go sh- straight to the end of the street. There's one, two, three, which is the house that I lived in, and four, the fourth house on the right. At that house, there was a, a, a side street, but it wasn't really a street. It was just a right-hand turn that you could make with a cul-de-sac, with a couple houses in the back, and then Parham went on down for another half a mile, maybe a quarter of a mile, and houses on both sides, and dead end, uh, coal sack on the other end, right? And yeah, it was a nice neighborhood, it really was. And, and he said that, you know, the sheriff had been getting complaints after complaints, and he wanted us to go up there and stop somebody, you know, and find their dope and get a search warrant, get a statement from them, get their search warrant and get together and hit the house with a no-knock search warrant. And I know no-knock search warrants has been catching some bad rap and and news lately, and I get that. Dumbasses in every profession. I mean, these people, the cops that break into the wrong house, look, that shit happens, but it's it's totally unexcusable. Every time we would do something like a no-knock search warrant, we we would always ride by and make sure we had the right place, right? You want to make sure what doors you have to cover and everything else. But guess what? On this one, it wasn't a problem. We knew it was the fourth house on the right. Okay, not the fifth, the fourth one, the the, the fourth one before the first cul-de-sac to the right. But here's the kicker. Homeboy was in there slinging his crack, but put a green light on the outside the back door Whenever he he was holding crack, when he'd run out, he take he turned the green light off. But when when we when he was holding crack again, he would turn the green light on. That's what Vic's intelligence said. And so we loaded up and went down there. We did a drive by. It was it was a 
Friday. I think it was a Friday, Friday evening in uh, Friday or Saturday morning. I must have been, it was a weekend. I knew that. I think it was a Friday evening. And we drive by, see it. The house is, is red brick in the front, stucco around the main entrance. And then when you take, take a right on that little cul-de-sac, that's where the parking was on that side of the house, on the right hand of the side of the street from the cul-de-sac. And as you approach the house, that's where the back door was. And they had a wooden fence. And behind that wooden fence was a swimming pool area that was enclosed, right? So we go in, we loop it, notice what vehicles are there, et cetera. This, this guy was supposed to be living with his grandparents. Make a shit to us. I mean, the green light's on. He's going to be selling crack. So we, we split up. Uh, I went and got an unmarked vehicle. And Vic went and sat down on, on Parham, pulled in somebody's driveway. He'd got permission from from one of the people, the citizens that called uh, the sheriff and was complaining. So he's back then and said, look, when somebody comes in and makes a buy to go to the door, I'm going to let you know, let you know what vehicle it is, and you catch them on the way out. I was like, cool. So I set up on 16 at the time. If, if, if you go to Parham, like you're leaving the, the, the crack house, and like hit Highway 16, which runs north and south through Livingston Parish, you take a right, there's a red light right there, and then right past that red light was a, it was a car wash, one of those paid car washes. I don't know if it's still there. That area of Watson's gotten huge now. It's an it's explosion. Um, but, of course, I'm getting old because we're talking about almost, I guess, almost 20 years ago. But anyway, there's a car wash on the right. There wasn't anything else up there. There's, now there's subdivisions everywhere and Walmarts and all this shit. There wasn't anything else up there back then. Um, so I set up at the car wash. Vic sets up, and, I mean, it wasn't even 15 minutes. And I had um, Deputy Ken McMorris with me. Now, Ken, Ken's born and raised up there in Watson area. I mean, he's Livingston Parish. He's LP through and through. Country boy, good old country boy, but also a hell of a narcotics detective. And I don't know if he ever worked narcotics full time, but he on the street he was like me. He was a hustler. He was going after the day. When when in between calls, when calls lay down for uniform patrol, we'd get in there and and he'd go hunt people. But he hunt hunt them on the west side. I'd hunt them on the east side. Sometimes we'd hunt together when we can. Anyway. Kim and Morris is still career detectives, detective officer. I don't know where Beck's at, but Ken's still career detective officer and one of the finest law enforcement professionals you'll ever meet, but also a good old boy. So Ken was with me. I remember Ken being with me. I think I think Brandon Ashford might have been with us that night also. There was there were several of us. I can't remember who all it was. So anyway, Vic calls. He said, got one. He said, got one. He's pulling up to the house now, small red pickup truck. And he said, white male getting out, driver's side, going to the back door. And he went to the back door. So he's going inside, and he went inside for like a minute and a half. And he comes back out. He said, he's getting in his truck. He said, he's got a 32304C, which y'all, that is, um, most people don't even know about that law. That's a white light. In Louisiana, revised statute 32304C. A 32, any criminal code or any code in, in the Louisiana law that starts with 32 that is enforceable has to do with traffic, some type of traffic violation. Anything that starts with a 14 is a criminal code. Okay. Uh, that's not traffic. Now, certainly traffic is criminal also. And when you sign a ticket, 
you're actually being arrested. When you sign a ticket, you're releasing yourself on your own recognizance, saying that you're going to show up in court and take care of your ticket. All right, so fast forward. Big says he's 32304C, which means that's our probable cause for stopping him. Dude's got no white light on his license plate. So we wait for him to come up, and we were set up at the car wash, and he came out, and he said he drove right past us. And so pull in behind him, lit him up with the unmarked, get him pulled over and, and haul ass out the car, right? Like, like you know, uh, run up on him, but not in a, such a way to scare him. But run up on him, we got the lights on him, we got the dash lights going, and had a marked unit in the area pull in behind us uh, with the lights on and get up. I approach the driver's side and I tap on the window and he has to roll it down. It's like a 1985 red Toyota single cab pickup truck. One of those that has like 600,000 miles on it and shit. I mean, it's older. I mean, it was old then. Imagine how old it would be now. But it had no business being in this neighborhood, right? And so, anyway, roll it down. The reason for rushing up towards the vehicle is so the dude can't eat the dope or chunk the dope out the window. He didn't. I mean, we had him lit up for the whole time. And so I tap on the window. I say, hey, man, step out, step out, step out. Come on, hurry up. You know, step out. And he steps out. And he has his hands. He didn't have him up in the air or anything, but he's he's there and he's all nervous and shit and he's sweating. And I say, hey, Detective Overton, the reason I stopped you is the Louisiana law requires that you have a white light on your license plate and you don't have one. He's like, what? That's actually a law. I say, yes, sir, it is. It's 32304C. And he was like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he's just he's sweating. He's probably like in his mid-40s. And I don't know if he'd been rocked up already that night, but he knew it, it was game time, right? That shit was on. So anyway, I, said, I said, look, it's not that big of a deal. I said, but, you know, where, where are you coming from this evening? I said, I'm coming from such such uh, up by the end of the line. I said, really? He said, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, you just came from the end of the line? Now, y'all, the end of the line, if you run 16 north, it goes all the way until you hit the parish line. And in Louisiana, we have parishes, not counties. The parish line of Livingston and, and St. Helena Parish, okay? So he's telling me he's coming from the end of the line where there's a couple of ballrooms up there and, and gas stations and truck stops and shit like that. They're really rural. Well, guess what, bitch? I know you're lying. You didn't, you're not coming from the end of the line. You just came off of Parham Avenue, right? I let him hang himself a little before. I said, you, you sure? I said, I said, what you doing up there? He said, oh, I went up there to get some uh, uh, gas. And I said, man, they got gas stations all down here. I said, yeah, you know, give me your driver's license. He gave me his driver's license. He lived down south of Denham. I'm like, mm-hmm, bitch. And I said, you live south of Denham? You drove 30 miles to get you some gas? Yes, sir, I did. Yes, sir. I said, okay. I said, well, then let me ask you something. But then, y'all, what he did, and this is an old trick I would use on him, he was real nervous, right, and, and rightfully so. But he put his, put his hands in his pocket, in, the, in his front pocket. I never miss a beat. I, I, I make it like it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, hey, man, and while I'm talking to him, and he puts his hands in his pocket. I'm like, hey, man, can you do me a favor and take your hands out of your pocket for officer safety, right? I said, I don't know if you got a bazooka or something. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. I mean, he was real compliant, nice guy, but he, he's still all jacked up. He's not thinking about his hands, and I knew he was going to do it. While he was talking to me, he was telling me his lies. He stuck his hands back in his pockets again, being nervous. And when he did, I grabbed him by both hands. I said, look, I asked you to keep your hands out of your pockets for officer safety. I said, I don't know why you keep reaching in there. I don't know if you have a bazooka or anything. I said, let me do this. 
so we can t- continue your conversation. So you can take these hands. And I, I made them lean up and, and put them on the side of the truck. Put your hands right there. Um, you don't have anything in them, and he didn't. Uh, and so put your hands right there, and I'm going to pat frisk you for officer safety. I said, you're not under arrest, but I want to pat frisk you to make sure you don't have any knives or guns or tanks or whatever on you. And that way we can continue to talk, and I can feel safe. And he fell for that shit, right? <laughs> and so what's he going to say? I already got his hands up on the thing. I go to pat frisk him, and I feel in his his front right pocket when I'm reaching down, patting his, you know, started shoulders, come down under the arms, down the chest to the pockets. And I feel what I, in a report, I would say I, I felt what I appear uh, due to my previous knowledge in working narcotics, what I believe to be a possible crack pipe. And it was, uh, I call it the glass dick. And, and um, so I get to it and he kind of flinches and I know I said, don't move. So yeah, I'm not worried about a old, old um, glass dick that you got on you, you know. I said, or another street term besides glass dick, glass dick, y'all is a horn. I said, I'm not worried about your horn, uh, your glass dick that you got on you. I said, I'm gonna get it from you, and then we'll talk about it. But just don't move until I get done. So I pat first and rest away. He didn't have any weapons. I said, oh, look, I'm gonna reach in there. I said, is it you? Do you have anything in there that's gonna stick me? Any needles or anything like that, or is it just your pipe? And he just kind of hung his head. And I said, look, you know, I'm going to go ahead and advise you your rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be just against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, a quarter point one for you. Do you understand your rights? He said, yes, sir. I said, you're not under arrest at this time. Do you understand? He said, yes, sir. And I went ahead and did that at that point because I, I knew that that was going to be a 14 charge, that, at least, uh, uh, for paraphernalia, 14, I think, 1033. Louisiana by statute, four, I think it's 40, 1033. But I already knew I was going to be able to arrest him if I wanted to. and um, But I didn't know if he was going to have the crack in the same pocket that he had just bought. So when I reached in and I retrieved the pipe, and it was, it was a crack pipe, glass stick. Y'all ever see in the in convenience stores, they sell these little uh, glass tubes that have these like miniature flowers in them? Well, that's bullshit. The, those are not for... Uh, People are not stopping the fucking gas station saying, oh, I got to fight my wife today. Let me bring a miniature glass flower. That's a crack pipe, all right? And that's in the sections like the these whatever little gas stations you see, and they'll have like rolling papers or whatever. They'll have those little miniature roses in the glass pipes. Well, that's what I'm talking about. And what they do is they take that rose out, and they'll get what they call a charboy or a Brillo pad, whatever, some type of a metal mesh and they shove it in the end of that and then they put the crack on the end of that and they fire it up and they, this dude's this dude's horn had been played a lot his tool his glass dick was was long used it was all charred up black right on the end so that's the other thing about crackheads they always have the, the thumbs would be burned up because they use the lighters over and over and they're sucking on it and, and that flame, they do it and so the flame burns their finger. And that end part gets so hot, but they, you know, they love that crack so much, they got to hit it again anyway. So, anyway, I get it out, get the pipe out, and I said, All right, Hoss, I said, I'll go ahead and put your hands behind your back. And I cuffed him up because, you know, here's my my game was not to take him to jail, y'all. My game is to get scare him into cooperating. And, Got him, got him to cuff up and nothing to get your fucking mind right like putting having a pair of handcuffs put on you, okay? So, by 
you know, got his hand behind the back, the other hand back. And that's when, unfortunately, that's the most dangerous time for a cop when they're taking somebody under arrest is when they go to put the second cuff on. But that, the time you put the first cuff on, by the time you get the second cuff on, that brain, brain's person decides right then and there whether they're going to fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, And I think recently one of the shootings that happened was some guy was passed out in Taco Bell or whatever, and that's when he started to fight the cops is right when they went to put that second cuff on. But anyway, put the second cuff on, he didn't resist. I said, look, man, I said, I know you fucking lying about where you're coming from. You know you're lying about where you're coming from. But this can go down one of two ways. Like I said, I ship your ass to the jail right now in this mark unit, or you and I can pull off to the side and we can talk. So first of all, you're going to tell me how much crack you just bought, who you bought it from, et cetera. I said, if you don't want to play, there's going to be plenty more people that are going to be pulling up there tonight. They're going to get arrested. Somebody's going to end up flipping. I said, now, if you cooperate with me, I'll, I'll stroke you a ticket, a summons for court, and we'll get it taken care of before the court date, right? I said, if you don't cooperate, you're going to jail. I don't give a fuck, but I can't be out here all night because these other crackheads are coming to buy crack, and they're seeing us out here on the side of the highway, right? He was like, no, 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 I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. So I put him in the car. Had him, uh, no, actually, let me back it up. I said, where's the crack at? And he said, I put it down underneath the driver's seat. He said, it's in a little orange bag. Didn't have to have a, his permission, y'all, at this time to search his vehicle because I could have done a tow sheet on it, but I got his permission. I said, so you give me permission to get it out? He said, yes, I do. So I reached in, got the crack cocaine out, and I said, I'm going to go, do you mind if I look through it and see if you have anything else in those? I mean, we, we did a thorough search, and that was it. I mean, he had like some Brillo pads and shit for his, his pipe and all that, and then, uh, but just basic bullshit. So we, we hurry up and get it out of the way, get behind the car wash, because Vic is still set up in the neighborhood, right? And watching for more people to come in and buy dope. And they were, but we were too busy. So get him in and say, hey, look, man, tell me where you got this crack from. He said, Barham, house with a green green light on it. I said, the fourth house on the right? He said, yes, sir, this is the only house in the neighborhood that has the green light on it. I said, who'd you get it from? And he gave me the guy's name. I can't remember, y'all, what it is today. But uh, he gave me the guy's name. I said, what's the deal? Tell me exactly what happened. He said, do it like I always do. He said, when he got the green light on, everybody know he's holding the good shit. I said, what do you mean good shit? He said, man, he makes good crack. And and he said, when uh, when the green light is on, he said, I'll, you know, my friends call or, or, or you know, we let each other know whatever his name is. We'll call him JoJo. JoJo's got the good shit tonight and he's holding. So he said, I went to the door and he said, he knows me. He uh, he let me into his living room, and we, we did. He went into the back bedroom. He he went down the hallway. He said he left the living room. I gave him the money. Left the living room. I said, and he comes back. I said, "Was he gone long?" And he said, "No, he was gone like ten seconds." I said y'all, this is a three bedroom house. I was trying to figure out, you know, basically which room he was he was using. I said, did you see any kind of firearms? Or anything? He said, hell to the yeah. He said he got a big old shiny. 45 pistol that he lays right on the table. He said he was in there. He's smoking weed right now playing on a big screen television. Now, look, the world has evolved, right? And I got like an 80-inch television downstairs, and it's flat and all that. And look, in 2002, 2003, a big screen TV like that was really expensive and and rare. 
But he said he, he was, he's sitting there, he's smoking weed. He said he had a, uh, a joint lit on the table in his pistol playing right there. Big, big pistol, big, shiny, shiny pistol. And I said, all right, I'm getting all this for the search warrant. So I have him fill out a statement, make a recording of a statement and everything, which house it is, who the guy is, JoJo, whatever. I said, I asked him, I said, did you, you know that he's on parole? He said, hell yeah, man, he's, he's on house arrest. He's got a fucking ankle bracelet on. And I was like, yeah, that's right. We're going to get his ass. And so he writes it all up. And I'm able to take that and use that as probable cause to get a sworn affidavit for a search warrant. All right. Search warrants. It's not like you see in the movies. Shit doesn't happen in 30 minutes. Okay. You got to write it up like on this narcotic search warrant. The, my probable cause is uh, Detective Vic Marler observed this guy going to the residence and that we had information was a, uh, a known narcotics location with the green light on, et cetera. He deserves him to go in for a short period of time. He deserves him when he comes out. He deserves him when he gets to the end of the street. At the end of the street, I had eyeballs on him. He comes, we make the traffic stop, found the paraphernalia on him, uh, being the pipe, and then got his permission, uh, or he, he admitted to the crack, got his permission. Then he told us that he went to the fourth house on the right with the green light. He verified everything that the Detective Morrow said, but he also stated that in going in there as a loaded, or it appeared to be loaded, 45 shining pistol, and the guy was smoking marijuana in the residence, okay? So you put all that up, got to get it all up, type it all up. Then you got to get a judge to sign it. Now, in Livingston Parish back then, you had one judge that was on duty on nights and weekends, kind of like you were on in detectives later on, right, when working homicides and stuff. There was one judge that you that was expected to be called out, however many judges they had, six or eight or whatever for the whole parish. So I had to find the on-duty judge go to their house and uh, drove to the house. You have to put up your hand, swear just like you do in court. You can tell the whole truth, blah, 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 whatever. Yes, sir. He reads the affidavit. He says, this is true. Yes, sir. And he's, and then they sign uh, what you're asking for is, yeah, and the search warrants have to be real specific in what you're asking for in the search. Now, I'm going in a search residence, whatever it was. I think it was 7919 Parham Avenue, Denham Springs, Louisiana, even though it's Watson. And the residence looks like this. You write in the description of the residence, including the green light on the outside. You're requesting a search warrant to go in and seize the illegal narcotics and, and any firearms. And that this guy is has a criminal history for the deal on nar- narcotics. And he's actually on parole. And you want permission to search anything in the residence to look for any more nar- firearms or narcotics. So it's got to be more limited, and I guess I could talk about it forever. You just can't go in there and, and say you're going to a, narco, a, a search warrant, like a narcotic search warrant doesn't give you the right to go in and look for dead bodies, right? But if you find a dead body during the search, during the process of search warrant, it's still good. You would stop then and back out and get a search warrant for that. And so, but it's called fruit of the poisonous tree. If your shit starts out bad, then it end bad, ends bad. If you're incorrect, when you search warrant, then everything, if you if you go execute that search warrant, it doesn't matter if you found 100 dead bodies and 100 tons of dope, everything is poisonous. You can't use it. So you got to make sure you do it and you do it correctly. So do it. It takes, it takes time. You get the judge signed and boom, go back. So now, now we're getting the people together. We're going to go 
we're going to hit the house. No knock warrant. Now, the reason for the no knock, y'all, and I understand what's happening nowadays, but the reason for the no knock is this guy, this asshole, had been to prison, and he's still fairly young, and he'd been to prison uh, uh, two times previously for narcotics and weapons violations. He, we knew he had a gun sitting right there, and if you go up and you go up to the door and say, Hello, Sheriff's Office, can you open the door, please? I mean, this dude, this asshole, they could be do him for his third strike, right? And, he, I mean, they could do him as a habitual offender, and he knows this. So what are the chances that he's going to shoot it out? What well, is probably not not high, but if you can hit it, the door, without having to do the knock, you, you say, Sheriff's Office, search warrant, bam, and without knocking and announce yourself, you kind of do it at the same time. You hit and you go in, and you you have that element of surprise for the split second. So even at that, a, a lot of officers get killed every year. Uh, Terry Malawson, I think, was the one from Baton Rouge City, that they do no-knock search warrants, and they get killed because the bad guys are, are waiting on them. But so we go to, we stack up. I forget how many people we had. We probably pulled in some uniform guys off a shift also. I mean, it's late by now. And Vic's been set up. He said, man, this bitch is like, you wouldn't believe that the people have been coming in here buying dope all night, right? But once we got it all together, we had briefed everybody on, on the house, the front door, the back door, which is the one we were going to hit, and uh, the backyard, the high fence that was around the swimming pool, et cetera. So when you go up, you go correct. And, and when we rolled in, we were stacked up in vehicles. And when you get there, you're rolling in. You're going to turn on Parham, no lights, none of us. And Parham didn't have any traffic on anyway. And so we turn on Parham, turn off our lights, and we hit there, hit that corner. A couple of the vehicles stayed actually on Parham. We went around the corner in the cul-de-sac. We all bail out. We run to the door, had the ram. The ram, y'all, is um, it's like a short metal pipe. It's heavier than hell, and it has two handles on it. And you, you have the ram... So when you say sheriff's office search warrant, bam, you hit a door, and there's not many doors that that can, except for hotel rooms. Hotel rooms are hard as hard as hell to uh, break their doors, but there's not many residential doors that can take more than one or two blows from the ram. And I don't remember who had the ram. I didn't. But normally I did, but they anyway we run up, and everybody's running around the sides of the house, et cetera, and we run straight to the back door. Sheriff's off search warrant, bam, hit it and bust open. And that dude's sitting on the couch with a big, fat-ass joint in his mouth. And he's got uh, a PlayStation in his hand. And he, I'll never forget it. His eyes went, whoop, like saucers. And he's looking at us. And he got <laughs> the joint in his mouth. And the pistol's right there in front of me. He looked. And I'm, I'm running in guns. You know, ground, ground, ground. And, and giving loud verbal commands, right? And uh, we took him, slammed him to the ground secured the weapon and you automatically uh whoever got him down i don't remember who it was you they pat frisk him automatically the first person that puts hands on him is responsible for him then we peel off and we go through and one person gonna break this way and one person break this way anyway to the house is clear i'm not going to tell you everything so once the house is clear you say clear and you come back through and you go back through it and you do it again a secondary search right well the secondary search is where you go back and you look for the dope um, uh, we know he's got marijuana in in the living room, and I mean he had a joint in his mouth. And I don't know how much weed this dude smoked, but evidently it was a lot. 
But so we know we had that, but that's not what we're there for. And the guy told me this when he went in to buy the crack that he went, the JoJo got up and walked down the hallway and disappeared from sight. So I knew it was probably going to be in the, one of the bedrooms. So we start to tear a place apart. And I actually found the dope and inside. Okay, back it up. JoJo was living with his grandparents, and they were not home. Thank God. They were not home that night. And um, I don't know where they were. I didn't ask. didn't care. But he was living with them while he was on parole. They were nice enough to let him stay there while he's on house arrest. That's they were one of the reasons that he got parole, because they were very upstanding citizens, right? And he's a turd. But so we go in and we do the search, and he's got his own room, and he's got all these fancy-ass clothes and whatever kind, you know, Doc Martens and shoes. I mean, he's got more shoes than, than most chicks do. I'm sorry, most females do. And... The uh, but his closets lined full of nice clothes, and so many times I can't tell you how many times p- people hide their dope in their jackets in the closet. Now it's August, his jacket is right there in the middle. It was a big leather jacket of red and black leather, and red, black, and white. I forget, had some kind of emblem on it, Fubu or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was a, l- a nice leather jacket. And while I was searching the closet, we'd been searching the room, etc., went in, and there was a huge bag of cookies is what we call them. Now, cookies are when you cook a crack, cook, they, it actually comes out in wafers when you get done with it. When you cook it up right there on your stove and there's actually cooking involved. And I like meth when they say it's cooking and there's no actual fire in the process. When, when you make crack, there is. But when the cookies, when you get done, they come out with the cookies in, in cook form. And then they crack that up. They break that up or rock it up. And that's where you get the crack rock from. So, Back it up, find a big ass stack of uh, of crack in in one pocket, and what's another one? Big ass stack of money. He had like eight grand in in uh, cash. So we could get out. We you know do the rest of the house. Grandparents didn't have shit, and and get him. He's a, he's an asshole. You know he knows he's going to prison. And I oh no man that shit ain't mine. Y'all planted that shit. I said yeah because I showed it to him. Right? It had been advised his rights. And we're sitting in the living room where he's sitting on the couch in the living room. And um, always, y'all, whenever you go in and you do something like that, you put somebody down on the floor and you take them into custody. Even though you secure that weapon that's right there in front of them, they have the what they call the one plus one rule. If you find one weapon, you should expect to find another. But before I would ever set anybody back on the couch like that, you're pulling the cushions off that couch in, in case there's another gun or whatever in there before you set them on there because you don't want them with their hands behind their back digging on the couch, you know, coming out with a weapon. But anyway, he's sitting there, and hey, look, man, the detective over you and advise your rights, and you know, we, we know you slinging crack. I ain't slinging no crack. It's bullshit. I said, pulled out the bag of cookies, right? And there's a bunch of crack. I mean, thousands of dollars worth of crack. And, oh, that ain't my shit. You planted that shit. I said, yeah, yes, right, motherfucker. I woke up my my house this morning on the other side of the parish. Decided I'm gonna I'm gonna make me some crack rock, and I'm gonna spend all day cooking up crack rock, and I'm gonna drive across the parish. And stop some other dude coming out of your house, get a bogus ass search warrant, and then I'm gonna plant my own dope in your shit. I said, You so fucking stupid. You know, I said, But your problem is, is you're a convict and you know your ass ain't getting out of prison this time, which is fine. I said, You don't have to cooperate. Fuck you. We hooked him, tagged him, and booked him, sent him with a uniform guy, tagged the evidence, tagged the money, 
time procedure, tag the evidence, tag the money, and still had it, it secured in the vehicle. Actually, I, it, it was secured in Vic's vehicle. So we're getting ready to leave, and Vic's like, man, the motherfucker's in there pulling in here all night long. He said, let's set up in the bushes and get them. He said, I'll stay inside, and when, when they come to the door, you get them. And y'all, you know what? It's a good idea. You know why? Because almost everybody, and it's unfortunate. Now, look, I'm not picking on a crackhead or a meth head or whatever. Addiction's a motherfucker. And, and I'm just telling you the stories, okay? Generally, the people who are addicted or have long-run addictions have warrants and shit for the rest, and, and it's just a fact. Or they have a plastic on them or a, a paraphernalia or something, guns and shit like that. They're convicted felons with firearms that shouldn't have. So we set up. It was still, still relatively early tonight. I think it was before midnight. Vic set up inside, and Ken and I set up outside, like in the bushes, and and. I, I mean, we did, we hit our vehicles. I'm telling you, the, the, the whole time the search was going on, the uniform guys were like, dude, there's, there's cars that keep turning on the Parham and then turn around in the first couple of houses and leaving. It was crackheads coming to buy their shit. But the word evidently didn't get too far out because we set up, we hit our cars, and it wasn't five. I'm talking about I didn't get hit in the bushes good, and the first vehicle pulls him into the cul-de-sac and it whipped around. Dude gets out, goes to the door. Vic opens the door, hit, hit him. Pull him in, check him out. He had a he had a pipe on him, and uh, I think he had a warrant out of East Baton Rouge or somewhere. So we call a unit to come get him, and boom, it was like that. It was nonstop, boom, boom, and everybody we were getting, you know, had like I said, either a warrant or a crack pipe or a gun. And we got like with several guns that night. But let me tell you, funny one. This this car pulls in and it's a male driver and I'm literally hiding in the fucking bushes in the Zaya bush and it's a male driver uh, female passenger but from white and she gets out and she goes to the door and she's got this big ass brown paper bag not a plastic Walmart bag big brown paper bag I wonder what the hell is she carrying and so uh, when she hit the door, when Vic opened the door, Ken and I ran to the vehicle and got the driver. Stop, sheriff's office, you know, show us your hands. And got him to put his hands up, get him out of the vehicle. What are you doing down here? Oh, well, you know, some bullshit excuse, right? And then uh turned out he had a warrant. But what the lady brought to the door is what I want to know, right? To get up, go to see what's up with that. And she had a brown paper bag, and we opened it. It was a whole fucking ribeye, a whole ribeye, like a hundred and something dollars worth of ribeye meat. And I'm like, what the hell? And, and, and she was most, most people that are most addicts, like crack addicts and stuff. They're not assholes. I mean, once, I mean, they certainly can be, but most of them, if you cut them a break, they'll be cool with you, et cetera. But and I asked her, I said, ma'am, is this what you were going to pay for your crack with? And she said, yeah. And I said, where where'd you get this from? She said, I got it from such and such in East Baton Rouge. That's the other thing, y'all. Parham was not, it's kind of on the East Baton Rouge Parish line almost. It's, um, it's not far. So people were coming from East Baton Rouge Parish also to buy the stove, JoJo's dope. And she said, so I went and got, got a whole ribeye. I said, why in the fuck didn't you just bring cash? She said, because I didn't have cash. I said, well, how'd you get the ribeye? I said, you stole the ribeye? She said, no. She said, it's, a, it's the first of the month. I said, what you mean? She said, it's the first of the month. I got my grub stubs in. And and I was like, ah, oh, okay. So, and 
what we used to call that was the first of the month club and dope activity always picked up in, in the, uh, the hood and, and, and the dope areas. I'm not being, I'm not stereotyping and being politically incorrect. I'm just telling a fucking story, but it always picked up in the first of the month because when they got the food stamps, they would trade them for dope and the shame on them for taking their, uh, family's food and trading it for dope. Right. And I was like, damn, I said, lady, that's harsh, right? I said, yeah, I mean, you got kids at home? She said, yeah, da-da-da-da. And she ended up having a warrant anyway, and we sent her to jail. Now, I don't know who took possession of the meat. I don't know. I'm sure it got turned in. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so never forget it. The the first of the month club and in the first of the month. So she was there with her whole ribeye. And I guess she would have got like five good rocks off of it, right? $100 worth of meat. But story doesn't end there one more and then i'm gonna wrap it up she sticks out of my mind i always will i mean i feel bad about the kids and shit like that i mean i feel bad about you know hopefully she turned her life around and shit i mean you literally i guess everybody is doing dope is taking money out of their kids mouth right but this is literally she's taking prime rib a uh, whole ribeye out their baby's mouth anyway so let's get to the last one of the night all that being the last vehicle that pulled up back in my Zaya bush this old, like, 1981 Chevrolet, full-size, single-cab pickup truck. No muffler on it. Coming in. It's like it's like 4 o'clock in the morning now, right? And the green light's on, and it's going pop, 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 pop. And I'm like, you know these motherfuckers on Parham are pissed off, right? That's why they kept calling the sheriff. I mean, you, you buy a house in a place like this, so you don't have problems. And this truck's coming in, pop, 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 no muffler. I'm like, I'm, I'm chuckling to myself. And they, they come in, they, they did the loop, and they let the one person get out to go to the door to get the dope. We did the same thing. Big hits them at the door. Ken and I run up to the truck. And we're like, you know, show us your hands, show us your hands. And it was a dude and and uh, two guys and, and, a, and a female in the middle, and all white. And they were from uh, St. Helena Parish. And get them out. They all had warrants and shit. And, but the driver was a real asshole. He was an older guy. Uh he was a dick from the gate. He's like, what do you want? And I said, uh, what, what you doing down here at 4 o'clock in the morning? And I said, turn that fucking truck off. It's too loud because it's going to pop, 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 pop. And I breached in. I turned it off. I took the keys because he had a little bit of attitude. And I said, get out and, and get him out. And, and he said, whatever. I'm down here doing whatever. I said, you're full of shit. And then and he said, well, I ain't saying nothing. I said, good, don't say nothing. Then, motherfucker, give me your driver's license. And he did it. And he had warrants. But he was a, he was a dick to, from the get go, and so when you when you book somebody on a warrant, y'all, that's the easiest rest in the world. You don't have to write a report. Yeah, you, you take them to the jail, or in this case, we'd have uniform guys take them to the jail, and all they have to do is is verify the warrant from the agency. This guy warrants are out of Saint Helena Parish, and verify the warrants, and then you do a booking sheet. It takes two minutes. I've done thousands of the book booking sheets. You just fill it out. And in the charges section, you put the warrant for St. Helena Parish for whatever it was. He had a bunch of small bullshit warrants like a theft and driving without a license and whatever ever else. But he went to jail more because uh, he, he was an asshole than anything. So, But now the deal is all three of them went to jail for different things. And, and the deal was we had to tow his shit. Couldn't leave this hoopty sitting in the cul-de-sac on Parham. So we had to call... I called for the next 79 on the list, and 79 is a tow truck. But, and it, 
in Watson area at, and when in law enforcement, it's not bad back then. The wait for a 79 wasn't bad. When I, on the east side of the parish, you call for a tow truck, you might be waiting for that bitch for two hours or three hours at that time in the morning. But it said it didn't take long for the tow truck to get there. But remember, I told you before uh, you can tow the vehicle, you had to inventory it. So you go in and you write down, and Ken's calling out whatever. And I, I searched my side and listed whatever. And they, they didn't have anything important, uh, whatever tools and whatever, just some bullshit stuff. But I searched, Ken searched, 79 gets there, sign off on it, and they hook it and they go. And I told Ken, I said, fuck and Vic, I said, fuck this, I'm going to the house. It's late. Well, I mean, we arrested like 15 or 20 people in the night. We did our job. Got crack off the street. Got this neighborhood back where they can roll right with the people. This asshole ain't going to be selling crack in here anymore. He's going. He ain't coming back. And so good night's work, right? It's all gravy, baby. I got a 40-minute drive across the parish to, to where I lived at the time. I get there. And I lay down and I go to sleep. Now, I think it was a Friday because I didn't have court. So it must have not been a Sunday night. But anyway, I go to sleep and my pager goes off. Like, I don't know, two hours later, nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. And I'm like, fuck. And and then I didn't answer. I didn't even look at it. And then my pager went off again. And then my home phone rang. And back then I had a home phone because not many people had cell phones. My home phone rang, and I grabbed it, and I said, I said what? And he said, Woody. I said, what? He said, Hoss, it's, it's Ken. I said, what's up, man? I mean, I'm still trying to wake up. I said, what's wrong? He said, he said, dude, you got to come meet me, man. You got to come meet me at the tow truck yard. I said, why? What the fuck are you talking about? And we, we towed, like, I think we only towed, like, two, I don't know, maybe two or three vehicles that night out of all the people that we arrested. Some of them we let go with summons, you know, like misdemeanor summons and stuff like that. Got some information off of them. Tell them you, you'll owe us a favor in the future, shit like that, right? But still, summons is an arrest. But I think we had only towed a couple of vehicles. But anyways, Ken said, he said, man, we got we to gotta go, go get a truck, man. I said, what's truck, Ken? And he said, the last one we did, the dude from St. Helene. I said, that loud-ass piece of shit? He said, yeah. And then, y'all, this thing... It had rust spots all on it and just, I mean, it was hoopty, hoopty, hoopty. And, and I said, what is going on, man? He said, they were booking that dude in the jail and on his warrants, and um, he wanted to know where his money was at. And I said, what money? He said, the dude said he had $10,000 cash and that it's in his truck. I said, and, I, and he said, he said, man, you gonna file a complaint on us and da, 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 da. The guy, the guy saying we stole his money. I said, let me tell you something. You tell that motherfucker to go file a complaint with anybody he wants to. He said, what are you talking about? I said, that bitch ain't never had ten thousand dollars in his entire fucking life, much less in that truck last night. And if he wants to file a complaint on me, he can file a fucking complaint because I didn't steal his fucking money. I said, did you steal his money? Kid said, hell no. I said, then fuck him. Let him let him file a complaint. I ain't I am not driving over there. Search that crackhead's truck so he could be laughing at us. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Fuck him. Yeah, you're right, man. I said, bro, go to bed, get some sleep. And uh, anyway, so just another good night. Uh, Ken's a super D man. And then, of course, there was never a complaint filed about ten thousand dollars. That motherfucker was. I mean, he'd been around. He'd probably been arrested sixty times, and he knew uh, ten thousand dollars was probably. $9,900 worth more than his truck was. But 
Anyway, that's it, y'all. That's the end of the story for tonight, and hope you enjoyed it. First of the month. Gives you a little bit of variety. I will be getting back into the more serious cases soon. Okay, by that I mean murders and in uh, ones that you haven't heard of, et cetera. But I do like to mix it up. But it, he, I told y'all I was going to bring you more information in this season on the cases, but I can't get it, shit, because of COVID. And, and it's ramping back up. So just bear with me. I got a million stories to tell. But the these big cases, y'all, I'm going to bring up a guest on and, and uh, that worked the cases with me, and we're going to have some recordings. The intentions are to have some of my interrogation recordings and stuff like that and take it to a whole new level, and we'll get there. Just bear with me um, and continue to like us and share us. The Y'all on Instagram at that little at symbol because I don't know dick about it, but the, I'm learning, and I, I'm kind of having fun with it now. So it's at real life, real crime. And then I'll, also I have at Overton Woody. Y'all go check me out on Instagram. Give me a like. I'm putting some, some pretty funny stuff on there every day. I'm trying to do a post on there every day. And so we're, we're growing that, and we're going to get back on YouTube. And then we have, like, I don't know, five or six different pages on Facebook. Y'all, one of our uh, clubs is we have Real Life Real Crime Bookham Club. Y'all go check that out. It's a private club on, on Facebook. Our, our dream team moderators run it up, and it, they actually they're hardcore true crime fans, and they they pick a different true crime book and they read it and they discuss it amongst themselves. They're awesome. So I, I I've been real remiss on on not mentioning that page. So y'all go check that out and get ask them, and they'll get you approved to join the group. And then of course our, our real life real crime friends fans and crew page nineteen thousand six hundred members tonight, y'all. I appreciate that. Thank you. Please continue to invite and, and uh, anyone you want to to the page. And that's going to be important when we have to move forward on Courtney Coco. We've got to have the numbers to close that thing out. And it's coming. I know I told you I'll give me two weeks. I know COVID is the official culprit now. I'm not BSing you about it. I know more than probably I should know. I'm telling you to lay off of them. Give them, uh, give them a little bit to, to this blows over. And so, Courtney, Justice Courtney, always, Miss Barbara Blunt, please keep the tips coming in. Again, we're back against the wall again with COVID. And but Miss Barbara Blunt's case is not, it's not frozen, y'all. I mean, y'all, the lifers continue to pour in uh, information and give stuff. And and Jason R, the sheriff, is totally committed to working it and his guys. And we're we're gonna have a meeting real soon on it. But again, we're under the COVID, uh, whatever the shit you want to call it. So, but I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart. And and I'm serious about this, y'all. Last week, I went on July the 1st to LOPA, which is the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency in Covington, Louisiana. And I was a guest on their podcast called The Gifted Life. And uh, Lori Steele was uh, was the actual host, and Kelly Jennings from Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center was there also. Uh, um, and we're talking, but let me tell y'all something. The I'm an old hard ass, right? I've seen all the death you can see, and and you can't see anything worse than what I've seen. But Lopa, they had this five month old babies 
mama uh, um, calling, calling the five month old got killed and the mama called in and told the five months old story and how, what happened and how she held her and the, how she made the decision to be for her baby to be an organ donor, et cetera. And ultimately this sweet baby saved four lives, four lives from a five month old baby's organs have gone, went into people who needed these organs to live. Okay. From a five month old baby. And I'm not going to ruin any more of it because that the podcast is coming out and I'll give you the links to it when it does. But I'm telling you, Woody Overton in real life, real crime are taking the LOPA, the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. That's going to be my mission. My, uh, um, I don't know, you call it whatever the hell you call it. Do good, whatever, whatever. It's a, it is a honorable thing. Okay. And I don't, I've, I've been an organ donor and I have, I had a homicide case before uh, an 18 year old female um, got killed Kind of almost the same way this baby got killed, and I'm not going to tell you about it, but she, her organs went out to, and one of them is a doctor, I think, out of California. So I already knew about it. I had already been signed up, but sit there and listen to that mama's pain and anguish, but then the joy that she got knowing out of her baby is a hero because that baby saved four lives. Almost made me cry. So I'm, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you the link to uh, Lopa in. You log on to lopa.org slash LTC. And in the drop down, it says, how did you hear about us? It lists LPLTC. That's for Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. And y'all, that's they're doing great things. If you if you choose that, um, choose criminal justice under it. That's Kelly Jennings class and the, the, who are really pushing LOPA. And they also, Lopez now added under that drop-down a spot for RLRC lifers, real-life, real-crime lifers. So it's lopa.org slash LTC. And then in the drop-down, you can click in that you heard about from the LPLTC or RLRC lifers. Now, you're going to be dead anyway, people. You're not going to need your shit. They're going to have a body to bury, right? And I know I'm not politically correct or sensitive or whatever, but I don't care what they do with me once I'm dead. You know, the, um, if if they can use something out of my old-ass body to, to make somebody else live a little longer, uh, I'd, be, I'd be glad to do it. But there's plenty of y'all out there uh, who aren't organ donors. And by logging on to that right there, it takes like two minutes you can get it done. And, and yes, you can do it from out of state. They have an out-of-state section also. But the important thing is, I was talking to somebody earlier, actually to the patron members earlier that watched me on the video, I said, you know, organ donors kind of like a migraine. Everybody knows about it, right? But you never really feel it or experience it until you go through it. So you think about that baby that saved four lives. But think about all the people that are out there right now that are waiting on organs or they're going to die. And, and there's another great lifer, and I'll get her permission um, to tell her story maybe one day or have her on. And, and she's a recipient, uh, I think, of a double lung transplant. And, and I mean, these people will be dying, y'all. And, and so sign up. You're not going to give a shit what they do with your, with, with your organs uh, anyway, right? But it's, it's a real, it's, a, it's the real deal. And from now on, 
every single podcast. I'm going to close it out like this. Lifers, give the gift of life. Be an organ donor. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay.